0: So rule number one in rules to make a day in the universe is you have to destroy the desire to please people. You have to des- destroy the desire to, to please people. Pleasing people will utterly kill your impact. You can't please people and change the world at the same time. Those two missions are completely incompatible. In fact, Galatians 1.10 says, if I'm trying to please men, I'm not a servant of Christ. And so the moment that your ministry begins to follow attendance, follow pleasing people, follow uh, getting people to like you and like what you say, that's the moment your ministry will begin to die and begin to cease having a kingdom impact. And whether it's the approval of the pastor or the approval of the church or approval of the denomination, like these things are incompatible to kingdom impact because your first mission is to serve the king. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And so most of the time, that's in unison and harmony with the senior pastor and people we serve. But sometimes those stop becoming, uh, sometimes those stop being unified. And when your ministry life gets reduced down to holding a service to please people because it's the thing we've always done, that's when you'll begin to see your kingdom impact begin to wane. And the path, I believe, of a fruitful ministry is actually marked with a whole bunch of ruffled feathers. You know, you, you can't be effective in kingdom impact without upsetting somebody. And I'm a recovering people pleaser. <laughs> I, I never had a spine. I want everyone to be happy. I thought it was totally possible. And I probably spent the first five years of my ministry life completely ineffective, had people show up that was completely lacking in impact. And as soon as I stopped like not i say this in the right way as soon as i stopped caring whether or not i'd be asked to continue doing this thing then our kingdom impacts started to come forward when i got bold and became unafraid of people liking me my message our event our food our gathering our church our denomination when i surrendered that because we were at the time host all sorts of gimmicky things to get you there and what i learned is what you draw people with is what you're going to draw them to So people would go, as long as there was a great headliner music person, or this, or we're going to bring bounce houses and big wheels, or we're going to throw marshmallows at each other, and and we did so much effort to get people in the doors, because that was what was valuable. I had to report numbers, I had to report attendance, what's the growth year over year, I mean, just like, oh my gosh. So, so much of my ministry life was being focused surrounding pleasing people, whether it was explicit or implicit. And when I went to our ministry and said, we're not going to do this anymore. And I got bold and was like, I do like, if, if I get fired from my volunteer position, I'm okay with that because I have to pursue what God has called. I cannot be a servant of Christ while pleasing men. And our attendance went down to like 20%. It's like 12 people show up next week. And that's going to be the test of whether or not, you can say that I'm not pleasing people, but when 10 people show up, it's a big heart check. <laughs> You're like, am I going to continue this? Because then all of a sudden you start like, down yourself and you like, this is a terrible thing. And so your number one responsibility is to please God. Your number two responsibility is to please God. Your number three, you get it. So you have to know that that, that is the core mission. And usually that's not incompatible with your senior leadership, but sometimes if it becomes that you know that your season there should end. Because yeah. if you care about kingdom impact you have to serve God. Alright, number two. Don't, related to this, don't obsess over results. Rules for making a dent in the universe, don't obsess over results. In our position, there is a ton of pressure to perform, to have numbers, to show impact. Again, I was mentioning how every single week, every month, even the denomination would ask us, how many AG people are there? How many AG people came to (laughs) faith? And nothing is the AG and i I came into a system established decades before me and so people mean well they have no idea that the way it's always been but as i'm reporting every single month every single week um, my anxiety over how i was doing was directly tied to how many people showed up last night i'd have a great friday by how good my thursday was and i had a great rest of the week and my message again this entire introspection over how things are going, because I was always basing the results over the most recent service. You're only as good as your most recent service. Uh, But what I realized is that fruitfulness in ministry is measured over years, not weeks. And you don't know the result of the seeds that you're planting. You will be planting seeds today that will actually take years to impact, and you may not even know the impact you're having. We don't get the privilege when we sow to always reap the seeds that we've sown, because... As Paul says, I sowed and other people watered. God caused them to grow. We play a part, but we don't have the privilege always to see the results we're planting. In fact, apple trees, you know, it takes an apple tree five to eight years before the first apple comes on the fruit. Now, if that tree was in ministry, that tree would have gotten fired at year three. (laughs) You have to know that that is the cycle of ministry, that it is going to take a long, stinking time. That you have to be in obedience for long term, saying, I'm not going to assess this on this week, this month, this year, heck, even this decade. That you, if you are pleasing God, you're pursuing Him, I don't care about everyone else. If one person shows up, that's sufficient. To know that there's going to be an impact that I don't have the privilege to get to see. Oak trees will take 25 to 30 years before the first acorn is produced. When you look at nature, nature defies our own performance logics that we put upon ourselves for ministry. And you will completely burn out of ministry if you obsess over short-term results. Yeah. I found that when I was getting most burnout in ministry it was when I was most obsessed over how last month, this week went. Especially when, you know, if you're down year over year, then you're like, well, man, should we just like call it a day and just be done? Like, it's hard. But if you really are committed to not being... Um, torn and directed by short-term results. You say, this is a long-term game for me. And I don't care if one person shows up. I'm going to keep showing up because this is a long-term play. Fruitfulness is measured over a long period of time, not short time. You'll avoid burnout. Rule number three for rules to make a dent in the universe. If you are not nervous, your ideas are too small. If you're not nervous, your ideas are too small. Do you have something on the line? Do you have something that you care about that if this doesn't go well, it actually would bother you if it didn't go well? There are people I know who are ministry, and they are completely checked out. It doesn't bother them if it goes well or not. And there's a part where you don't want to be influenced by no one showing up. Like you want to have peace and have a long-term vision. But if you are doing something, you're not nervous, you don't have some butterflies, it might be that you are operating out of habit and routine. You don't get nervous over habit and routine of the same old thing, I just show up, whatever. I'm not saying this has to be the, the way all the time, uh, but I'm saying that you should be contending for things in your ministry that are like, whoa, this is, this is heavy. Like, I've actually got some nervousness about this. Because nervousness, in my opinion, is a measuring, is a measuring stick that you are being stretched. You want to be stretched in ministry. You don't want to arrive in ministry like I'm in my sweet spot, you know. Like you want to be contending and being stretched. And so, if I'm not nervous, if I'm not nervous, I preach at a church in Incline. I was like super nervous because the average age there's like 65. I get up and two people are already asleep. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, this is gonna be interesting. The nervousness that I have, whether it's what we're doing, the message I'm talking about, who's in the audience, I was. I host a a gathering in Lake Tahoe, and my in-laws have known I've been doing ministry for 10 years, have never gone to any of our stuff. They showed at this one in Lake Tahoe. And this happens to be the message where I talk about my struggles with porn from third grade till I was 22. And so as I'm approaching that part of my message, I'm like, looking at them like, here we go. And what I've learned is that your comfort zone is where your dreams will go to die. If you are not nervous, you're operating out of habit and routine. There's no stretching. There's no movement of the kingdom. It says in Matthew 11:12 um, 12, that the kingdom is moving by force and violent men take hold of it. There's this push and pull. There's this struggle that's at stake for the kingdom. And it requires us to be out of our comfort zone. And so it's important to know in this that safe dreams will never change the world. Safe dreams will never impact the city. Safe dreams will never change a body. So if you want to play it safe, maybe you should go work for the state instead. But you are ministers of the kingdom. And nothing to knock about the state. I'm just saying we're ransoming souls from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of heaven. It's not going to be safe. You're going to, tell, you're going to have to be honest with people and tell them, like, that's not okay. That's not who God says you are. That is not a safe lifestyle. But we can make ministry safe if we want, if we allow it to conform to our comfort zone. Rule number four for rules for making a dead in the universe is go make your own opportunity and do not wait for one. The perfect time will never come. There will never be an ideal time to start something. There will never be a perfect time to step out and do that thing. Breakthrough does not conform to your schedule. People's life breakthroughs are never on time, they're never scheduled, and they're never planned. Timing will never be your friend. In fact, timing will often be your foe. So many times I felt burnt out, like, oh, it's just not the right time. Those times are I pushed through despite the fear of timing, because timing is something the devil uses you to delay you. Yeah. He'll confuse you by how busy you are and it's just not the right time, and we'll make it sound spiritual by saying, it's just not the right season for me, which there's room for that, yeah. but so often we'll use, it's not my right season to remove ourselves in a very spiritually acceptable way. When we push through time and say, I actually don't have anything to give is when God says, I can trust you because you're going to surpass what you can do with effort I'm going to make up in the kingdom. Yeah. And so, so many of the times where I've just felt like I am just over it, it doesn't make sense. And the times we, we push through anyways, usually because we've already marketed what we're going to do, we've already promised It's like, I got to show up even though I want to pull the plug. In those times, we've, we've seen God move the greatest. And the times where I've, I've walked into things that I was the most discouraged, we've had the times of greatest breakthrough. You look at um, Isaac who sowed during a famine and reaped a hundredfold. Every indicator said this was going to be a failure. Every indicator said you're an idiot, and he reaped a hundredfold. So we have to know that the rules of the kingdom do not operate by our feelings. The kingdom operates by faith. If you move according to feelings and you don't think it's going to go well, you might be creating a self-fulfilling prophecy that it won't. You need to say, I don't feel this is good, but I trust God, not by my own effort, and I trust God to be the Lord of the harvest, even if one person shows up. Yeah. Rule number five, you guys okay? Yeah. All right. Cool. It is better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. Maybe some of you guys already know this. Too many people wait for someone to give them permission to try someone, to try something or to be someone. And sometimes you just need to go for it. Sometimes you just need to like I don't I don't need to have an meeting. I don't even need to pray about this I just need to go because when God moves in us, He's acting us to respond in faith. When 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 Jesus did miracles so often, as people He was spontaneously moving to cause them breakthrough. He wasn't like, well, let me you know I'm going to come back in seven days. It'll be at five p.m. I'll hope you show up there. It'll be great food. You know, He He responded as the opportunity came. He wasn't like I need to pray to see if I can heal you like. He took the moment by moment and just went for it. And so sometimes we can kill what God wants to do in us and through us by overanalyzing it, overplanning it, and then eventually talking ourselves out of it. When we feel moved, we need to begin to take steps because the longer we delay, it'll appear to be a bad idea in our mind. The longer an idea sits in us, the more time we'll have to reason ourselves out of it. And so for me, I'd rather, um, as an employer, I'd rather reel someone in and be like, whoa, you're going way too fast. I'd rather pull someone in and say, calm down, we can do this a little bit better, or we can, you know, love the enthusiasm. That is so much better than trying to rally someone to have motivation. You want to err on this side. Because working with people on this side where you have to break through all that control and then motivate them, because someone who's operating under a, a fear of control will not have ambition. And so you need to have ambition for your mission field. And so it's important that you feel that you can pursue and chase after things and to go for it. And if it doesn't work, you adjust. But there's too much planning, I believe, oftentimes in our ministry and our altar calls in different ways. When We over plan things to where the spirit actually has no room. And we have to make margin to say, I don't know all the details of this. I know the direction we're charging, but we're going to go and we're going we're to go after it. And um, so in the kingdom, I believe that the light is green until it's red. I believe it's yes and amen okay, until it's up. like, hold on. <laughs> and I would encourage all of you guys in ministry, you know, as you have overseers and leadership to actually ask them permission. I went to my senior uh, leaders and I said, oh, I need a blank sheet of paper. Like, that's what I need. I, I need to try and fail I need to go hard. And if I step outside the bounds, like I have a right heart, I'll like I'll hear you. Like I, I have no agenda, but I actually need to be off leash. Yeah. And if I wanted too far, call me back. And they gave me permission. And so that is what gave us some of the entrepreneurial things that we did. We did, we took over City Block and how, hosted a concert on City Block. I'm like, I can't even believe we did some of the things we, we did. But we did it out of like, we caught the vision, we we went for it and we like five phone calls and in an hour, we're like, let's do it, you know? Versus, well, we have to wait till the staff meeting in two weeks, and by then the fire for the, the vision's gone. So, um, asking for forgiveness later, uh, and we've had a number of the situations, uh, but I, I prefer that bias. The light is green until it's red. Rule number six courageous faith often looks like stupidity. Courageous faith often looks like stupidity. If you feel like something seems outrageous, stupid, or impossible, it actually could be the perfect God moment. This pattern is all over the scriptures. David and Goliath, right? Uh, Joshua approaching the river banks, you know, to lead Israel across the Jordan River. And what was unique about the river is that flood stages, right? And we don't know how long he stood in the river. It didn't say walk across the river. It says go stand in the water. We don't know how long he stood there looking like an idiot. It could have been hours. It could have been half a day. Who knows? But oftentimes, outrageous demonstrations of our faith will look like stupidity to the outside. And if you feel like it's crazy and frankly stupid, we actually have reason to believe in the scriptures. That's times when God loves to show up. Because we'll make so much of our, our ministry not require any risk. We'll have our ministry not require any courage. We'll have our ministry to be safe and contained. And so I believe that the the demonstrations for us as leaders in the kingdom is actually to step out with courage. And courage, you can't have courage if there's no danger or any risk. That's not called courage anymore. Like strength implies that there's resistance. And it's so easy to reduce our ministry down to no risk and no effort and no resistance. Rule number seven Failure is proof that you tried something. Failure is proof that you tried something. Don't be afraid of failure. If you are afraid of failure, it either means you are living to please people or you've never tried anything. I actually think it's important. Like in in the tech industry, people celebrate failure. Which I don't think you want, like, let's not celebrate failure. That's like the wrong mentality. I appreciate failure. Failure is a good teacher. I don't want failure, but when it comes, I want to listen. But experiencing failure is what helps me become unintimidated by failure in the future. People who've tried and failed oftentimes have such discouragement that they get so fearful of failure that they never try anything at all ever again. And so I think it's important for us to try and dream audacious dreams but also have some misses and some swings like this thing, I'll be honest with you guys, probably will never happen. And that's okay. If it's an utter failure, like at least who I became in that journey is a surpassing value to my life. The fact that I like got to a brick, you know, of like this could be a different housing material. We've got crazy challenges with it. And if it goes nowhere, it's okay. Because I've had enough failures to say like failure is not my identity. I'm just going to try something else. It doesn't make me who I am. And so so many uh, people aren't playing to win. They're actually playing to not fail which those are two different objectives and missions. It's one thing to try and to win and to have the prize and to make the kingdom impact. A lot of people are just trying to to suck. And I'm a person who loves to say, you know, suck less, you know, and and I believe that, but not in ministry. We play to win because playing to win versus playing to not lose is a totally different game and totally different strategy. And so don't play to not fail. Don't customize your ideas and your visions according to not to fail. You have to uh, experience failure so that you disarm failure of its fear. When you disarm failure of its fear, you'll have boldness and courage, and you won't even, it won't even feel like resistance. People are like, how do you do that? Like, it's often thing that people ask me is like, how do you not feel failure, or fear failure? It's like, well, I've done it enough times. It's like, not that bad, you know? <laughs> uh, it doesn't make me who I am. My successes nor my failures make me who I am. When you establish your identity in being who you are, not what you do, failure and success has different consequences apart from your identity. Rule number eight, speaking of failure, this sounds really bad, but it does not mean something really bad, Uh, It is that you are already living your worst case scenario. When you think of something about what could be and should be, the worst case scenario to that not working out is your current life. If you have an idea, and you're like, "What? You know, I have an idea for something, and what if it works out? And then people will talk themselves out, well, what if it doesn't work out? The worst-case scenario is your current life right now. You just go back to doing what you're doing now. Unless you're flying rocket ships, the worst-case scenario is usually your current life. Flying rocket ships might have a different worst-case scenario. Um, and, and sometimes in ministry... To be honest with you, the worst-case scenario could be that you get fired. That is a challenge you need to work with your pastor. If you don't have a relationship that says, I'm going to go up to bat a number of times, I'm going to have a few swings, but I'm aiming for the fences, pastor. And I need you to know this is a long-term vision. Fruit's not measured on a monthly basis, not a yearly basis. Fruit is measured over a long-term period. I need a blank sheet of paper. I'm going to run fast, but I need you to know and expect there's going to be some things that don't work out. If you have that room, then your worst case scenario is really like, well, we just do something else. I go back to what I'm currently doing because so many people get so wrapped up in what if it doesn't work, and what if it doesn't work? Well, what if it doesn't work? Think about it. You lose 500 bucks. Who cares? You know, out of the grand scheme of things. We will agonize over the worst possibility when we think about it. It's like, I'll just go back to what I'm doing. My current life now. It's funny that, um, that Jesus couldn't do miracles in his own hometown. Did Jesus come back like, well, I guess this ministry thing is not for me. <laughs> like Jesus failed in his own hometown, right? And when Jesus talked to the disciples about going to cities, he said, if a city doesn't receive you, dust off the feet. In yeah. kingdom impact is baked in the implication that some things are going to work and some things aren't going to work. But we have a mindset that everything we have to do has to work. When you understand that not everything's going to work, the pressure comes off. I just move on. I find a different people. I go a different direction. He didn't question his ministry or his identity. He didn't question, oh man, do we have the wrong worship music at the beginning? He just moved on. (laughs) And um, failure and rejection and what appears on the surface as ineffective ministry that fell fallow is not a declaration of failure of you in ministry. It just says that you're actually in the mission field. Because you're not going to bat a 1,000. You're not going to be able to hit a home run every single time I bat. There's baked in that implicit nature of kingdom impact. There's some things that are going to work and a lot of things that aren't going to work. Rule number nine is to cut out the good and go for the best. We spend a lot of times, or we spend a lot of time, a lot of our effort, a lot of our budget on things that are good that aren't the best. So many things I witnessed and have experienced that it's just, well, why do we do this? Well, we've always done it. Well, that's a terrible reason to continue doing something. Inertia in ministry is toxic because that thing that always is there, that we always have to do, that is good, will never die. It actually takes courage to say, this is great, this is being effective, but it's just good. And it's detracting from what we really feel God is conscious to do because ministries don't usually prune, they always add. Notice that? That you'll add five things, but you don't cut five things. You don't cut anything. You just will work longer, you know? And that is how so much of our ministry goes is, is churches start things and they feel they have to perpetuate it and, and caretake it for until Jesus returns. And it is totally okay to end things in ministry or about your ministry or about what you're doing just for the reasons like it was fine. It's just not the best thing anymore. We were in ministry for 10 years, had amazing times, had great gatherings, a great impact. Things were going well, and we decided at the 10-year mark to, like, throw on the brakes and pull out the parachute. It was good, but it was really hard to put, take something behind the barn and shoot it that was actually healthy and still okay. And you don't want to be in ministry where it's now a, a life support crisis situation. It would be better to say... We sense that God is moving a different direction. This is going fine, but I'd rather not have it die slow death. I'd rather be intentional, make decisions about where God's moving, and and cast a strong yes. It's important that you don't, like, well, why not? You want to be a, you know, hell yes. (laughs) You you want to, like, to go after it. You don't want to be like, well, why not? You know, you want it to be this, like, yes, but you will never be able to have that, that strong yes while you're holding on to all these different things. Last thing is commit yourself to long-term vision. Commit yourself to long-term vision. We think of things in weeks and months. We think things of in 10 weeks and 10 months or 10 seconds if you're me. What would happen if you set your mind to a mission and gave yourself 10 years? What would happen to your life if you said, I'm in this, I'm not in this for one month or even one year. I'm in this pursuit for 10 years. Tomorrow, our software company, it's our 10th birthday. I've been at this for 10 years. And people will say, like, whoa, like, it looks so easy. And, well. you guys are growing so much and all these great things. And it's like, I've been at this for 10 years. You know, years one through five were miserable. (laughs) And, you know, years five through eight were fine, they're growing. But, you know, we've got 32 employees. We hired three people yesterday. You know, we hired more people yesterday than we probably did in our first, like, seven years. And so I believe there's something about being committed to a longer-term vision that says, I got to be into it because fruitfulness, again, you might be year five, six, seven, eight before something bursts. If I was assessing my ventures, my ministry on how it was going after just a few years, I would have quit long ago but staying in the game i think is so strategic to the kingdom because it takes that long term but most people have a short term and say i'll give it a couple years you can't do anything in a couple years you can't even get a new parking sign out here in a couple years you know you need to to give your yourself time and say what would my life look like if i commit to three or four things for my life each one's gonna be 10 years what kind of impact would you have when you say i'm settling in I'm going to be here. I'm going to have a long-term vision because it is a long, slow road. And most people will never experience the fulfillness and the fullness of their vision, not because they weren't skilled or not because it wasn't impactful. It's because they gave up too soon. They cut the apple tree down in year five when year six was when the apple was going to be on the branch. So... That's it. Ten thanks for creating Dancing Universe. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me.